Hi, welcome to Swordnut Radio. This episode is a behind-the-screen special on the Blue Planet system. A couple of months ago, we played a short campaign GM'd by Alex. It was Alex's first go at GMing, so she didn't want the thing recorded, which is fine by us. So myself and Alex have got together and discussed the game itself, the system, and what we liked and disliked about it, and there's some good general GMing and playing advice in there as well. If you want to get in touch with us with your comments, questions, and random facts, it's swordnutradio at gmail.com, that's swordnutradio at gmail.com, or at swordnutradio on Twitter. So, hi there guys, my name's Alex, I was the GM for our short run of Blue Planet. And I'm Paul, I'm usually the GM for the 5th edition games, but I was playing a orca named War. How about we start with doing the um, briefest of brief synopsis of the the adventure, and then okay. we go and talk about Blue Planet, like the setting, the the rules and, and the system and stuff, and then we talk a bit more about the adventure as, as we'll remember it. Alright. Cool. You were a band of mercenaries who were called over to like the middle of a nowhere, like a small island in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. When before you were sort of city boys, but um, yeah, so you sort of ended up on just like a sort of Polynesian island. There wasn't really much electricity or anything going on, and um, you'd been called up by this um, corporate guy who was telling you he had a job for you. And yeah, I think the because, the idea it, was yeah, that, that we were all off-worlders. Yeah, it was an unusual request, so you were all like, hmm, what's this all about then? Yeah. And because, obviously, the guy being corporate, you would have got paid a bunch of money for <laughs> it. So that was that was the main plot hook, really. And um, <laughs> It's once... always good for a one-shot. Here's a ton of money! <laughs> well, it got you there, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, once uh, you guys got to the island, you met up with this corporate guy who told you that a um, it was like a prototype... Um, underwater research station. It had gone mm. missing along with all of its scientists and he didn't want his superiors to know about it so he'd sort of delved into his own savings money and um, asked for you guys to come along and try and find them. Yeah, dodgy fellow meeting us in a hut somewhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was it was uh, Adam, Biddy and myself playing. I was a sentient orca called War, who was sort of into his guns. So it's all about the uh, high-caliber guns and missile launchers. Uh, Biddy was playing... Was he an ape guy? He was like yeah, a... Yeah, he was the... Oh, I can't remember the word. It's not Simeon. That's from something else, isn't it? He's a... Uh... Oh, I don't know. Yeah, he was... Sil- yeah. Silver. Sylvan. That was it. Sylvan. Yep. Uh, and then Adam was playing... Adam was playing the cat guy. Yeah, he was playing the cat guy. <laughs> so there's probably is a word for him, but like, yeah. Uh, so who's playing the the cat guy? No, it um, was it was just cat hybrid, I think. That's, oh, yeah. That's the, that was the only term for it. Like human hybrid with a cat, and then a human hybrid with a monkey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. I think from the way you'd pitched it as like you're doing this for money, you're kind of mercs and whatever. We kind of. Uh, put ourselves together as a load of scumbags. Um, well, no, it was the other way around. You guys it? decided that you wanted to play a bunch of scumbags, so that's why <laughs> yeah. I put together this mercenary scenario. Uh, yeah, we didn't want to be freedom fighters and eco warriors. We wanted to be scumbags. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, I did ask you, and like you sort of came to a consensus that you all wanted to be a bunch of douches. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, you, you might might see that uh, as a trend in my roleplay. Um, so. Uh, so we got the job, and it was uh, we had a sub, 
because it was it's a water world and then um so we went looking for uh, a research station that had its own sort of big sub with it and it had this um sort of big rig research station um that had gone missing so we went to try and find it and there was um it, it wasn't where it's supposed to be and we sort of followed some tracks somewhere went down into a canyon and mm-hmm. there were interesting little things in the canyon i think there were a lot of things for us to investigate that we just didn't um <laughs> well what the problem was is that when you all rolled your characters up one of you wanted to be a scientist and then didn't end up playing in the actual game. Yeah, Mike, Mike was like, oh, yeah, we've got this massive hole in our group. I'll fill that hole and then I'll never turn up. Yeah. So we tried to, so we found the actual research station, the actual rig, which didn't have the submarine with it. And that was full of, in fact, that, that was empty, wasn't it? It was completely empty. And we're trying to get the systems back up. And yeah. We found um, like this uh, telepresence device for a, a sentient dolphin. Uh, which we sort of jerry-rigged, went out and um, there, there was a, a huge thing. Yeah, you started um, tampering with like the communications device, trying to see if you could that get in contact it. with the the little sub, which was called a lovely boy. Yeah. And once you'd done that, you started getting like colours and shapes flashing up on the screens and like this high pitched whine. Yeah. And that's when this um, gigantic bioluminescent pill shaped ship came rising up out of the gully that you were over hanging over yeah and it was um it was like an underwater it was underwater uh waterfall wasn't it it was like a yeah yeah like a brine waterfall or something and this all this sediment was pouring on top of this thing and and i think the implication was it was going to get buried eventually and so this thing popped up and rather than do something sensible So we all sort of like, you know, uh, went to try and get away from this thing back to our own sub or something. And Wah decided that it would be a great idea to go and fire a missile at this thing, which he did. And it was far too close. And the shockwave actually backwashed and hit him <laughs> and bashed him <laughs> into a wall or something. But did manage to open up <laughs> something. So we all kind of decided that we'd go in to this thing. Yeah. Uh, I think because that was all we had for that that moment it was kind of like well we could see if we can tow this thing back and then go back or whatever but here's this thing that's just come up with you know time's oppressing that's probably what they've been investigating so let's go well the incentive was that you would get paid more if you found the scientists yeah and with the research vessel being empty you sort of you you had little dollar signs in your eyes when the, <laughs> when the ship came up yeah yeah what what got to get paid um <laughs> uh, buy more buy more rockets yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We got to the the edge of this ship thing, sort of having a nose at it, and we're all swimming at this point. I think it was we we weren't mm-hmm. in the in the sub because uh, it's fairly shallow waters, and we found out that the echolocation clicks that Wa could make would actually open up like a little porthole type thing, like a bubble mm-hmm. type thing on this on this ship, of which there were loads, and then we sort of swam into there, and it was this. It's only, it was Just long corridors, wasn't it? Yeah, corridors sort of spiralling around and around and around, all with these little little portholes everywhere. So we started sort of opening up these things, and there were these black rods in the middle of a room, wasn't it? Yeah. Just sort of floating in the middle of a, a smallish room. And curiosity killing the cat, Biddy decided... Literally. Uh, yeah, in fact, no... Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, not no, quite no, literally. In fact, no, it must have been... It Adam, who was the ape guy, and Biddy, who was the cat. Cause it, cause no, he, I thought Adam was the cat guy. Was it? 
No, 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 it was definitely it was Biddy who was the cat. So it must have been. So, yeah, it was, Biddy, it was Biddy, Biddy who was the cat man. Yeah, and because curiosity killed the cat, that was his. That was his thing. It's like I'm just going to keep touching these rods. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, every time like, he did, you, you guys didn't want to go anywhere near them, did no, you? No, no. Uh, Wire was up for blasting the shit out of everything. <laughs> um, so um, drifting yeah, past open as, portholes, uh, John Woo style. But yeah, so he went into the the things. Yeah, um, as soon as um, the rods got touched, they basically exploded into like this gritty stuff that filled up the water and then slowly drifted away. Once Catman had touched those, he started getting visions that gradually got more dark and disturbing, but gave clues each time. The first time, I think he was just trapped in like black water and he couldn't breathe, but he didn't feel like he had the need to breathe. Hmm. There was sort of that high-pitched whine that you heard off the computer monitors in the research station. Yeah. And um, he saw... You'd all been given photos of these scientists that you were supposed to be looking for, and he saw one of them floating in the water in front of him. So he swam through, like, this black water towards this scientist, and he reached out for him, and this scientist's skin was all sort of really loose and baggy. He couldn't quite figure it out. And... All of a sudden, all the insides of this guy just suddenly got sucked out, and there was just like this loose skin floating in the water. <laughs> yeah. And that's that was basically how his first vision ended, uh, if I remember rightly. <laughs> well, the thing the thing I remember most from the first vision was that you were trying to do it sort of in character, privilege, knowledge. So instead of just saying, "Okay, guys, you don't know this," took uh, Biddy into. Into the, into the toilet. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, there's like a, a little anteroom uh, before the, you get to the toilet where the, uh, in, the, in the station. And he was talking in there. We could literally hear every single word because <laughs> that door conducts sound better than if you're in the actual room with someone. <laughs> it's, it's uncanny. So I think we had to abandon that pretty quickly. Well, yeah, I said like the first few sentences and then you guys were giggling. So I was like, <laughs> no, you guys can hear us. So we basically had this understanding that I would tell Biddy what he saw and then he could either choose to tell you that in character or leave it out in character he decided to tell you. So yeah. from then on, it was all right for me to tell him what he saw in his visions in front of all of you as well. Mm. With this revelation, I think there was a, a, a mechanism by which it was hurting him as well. Um, or he was he was certainly rolling for something, and I remember we all yeah, took he turns. Had to, and yeah, for the first time that you touched the rod, you had to take an endurance roll, and you weren't quite sure why until you came across one of the rooms opened up and just all this because you were swimming in water, hmm. so you opened up the door and all this bloodied water came sort of spilling out into the clear water that you were swimming in, hmm. and it was it turned out that one of the dolphin scientists from the group that you were looking for had actually failed their endurance role. So all their cybernetics had exploded. Yeah. And this dolphin was just sort of floating in the room with like half his face exploded off. So that's not really the correct term. Half his face, um... I think, you know, I think that's exactly okay, what it was. Yeah. Okay, exploded off. Yeah. And he was still sort of twitching and alive, even though half his brain was missing. Yeah. So these guys had to deal with that, with doing like the right thing and you know putting this poor dolphin out of its misery. Yeah, while or, I wanted to eat it. The, uh... <laughs> yeah, or you wanted to eat it. Yep. <laughs> well, I think I think we I think I was convinced uh, because was it the client had said alive, not alive and well. You know, mm-hmm. so as long as it had a pulse, it was fine. <laughs> it was a payday. 
<laughs> so, yeah, no, I, th- I think you like bit its tail and shook it about a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, just brought it to a bit. Um, so yeah, uh, one of the things was that um, the the cetaceans of, of this setting have um, these remote presence devices. What were they, what are they called? Cicadas. Which um, was was huge. It was like a sort of two meter cube. It, it was basically thing. a tank. Like. Yeah, and this dolphin cicada was this little small thingy. But we managed to sort of be able to jack into both of them, and so we could use both of these things. And we ended up using them fairly, quite a lot actually. I think yeah, you yeah. know we you know sort of used them to uh, as like canary, the, as yeah, canaries. Yeah. So we got that guy, and we were sort of wandering around this this vessel and I think you know touching more and more of these rods and getting different visions every time and each time it was it was like getting closer to them these members of the crew mm-hmm. and it got to the point where there was a vision where I think it was it was still uh, Biddy doing all the stuff with his catman and he was kind of there in the room with all these all, all the scientists and they were in this black gunk this black water, sort of up around a room, and he was talking to yeah, one of them. Yeah, it was them. the it was the black water that he'd sort of had the visions about. They were in cups of it, sort of half spheres. Mm. And we were trying to communicate with one of them, and the only way we could communicate uh, was on, on the basis of a really good role. The, <laughs> the, the scientist and Biddy knew sign language. <laughs> <laughs> it was an amazing role. <laughs> yeah. Which I hadn't really anticipated to be honest. <laughs> I think it was it was my suggestion because Cheryl's learning sign language, yeah, uh, and so I was kind of learning it by default at the time. So uh, yeah, it was it was kind of fresh in my mind, and <laughs> so it was like yes, yes, absolutely, yes. Because uh, if it was Wire doing it, we wouldn't have been able to do it because he he didn't have hands. No, um, you, he, you wouldn't have been able to do it for the dexterity role. Yeah, he'd just been flapping. Like, you, you might have been able to understand sign language, but yeah. <laughs> There's no way to actually say you know, to no. start saying. Can you please start signing? <laughs> um, <laughs> so they they weren't terribly communicative because they didn't know anything about what was going on at all, did they? No. But it was it was just a hint as to kind of they're somewhere they're in a room somewhere. Got you got to look for it. Yeah. Um, so we found eventually we were just going towards the centre of the. Of yeah, the as you were sort of moving closer and closer. The walls of this place were sort of semi-transparent. Oh, transparent. the moving poo, the singing poo. Yeah, the singing poo. The singing poo. <laughs> uh. <laughs> this was supposed to be like quite threatening, and <laughs> I was I was trying really hard to create like this scary, isolated, claustrophobic setting. Yeah. And as soon as I mentioned these semi-translucent walls, where you could hear the sort of the high-pitched violin noises and the high-pitched violin noises that he'd been hearing in his visions, and that through the semi-translucent walls you could see something very big moving about just beyond the walls that they were they were traversing. Yeah, I so thought, obviously it was poo. I thought, yeah, I thought, ooh, that's quite creepy, I'll say that, but no, no. <laughs> well, it was, it was an organic sort of ship, and so I was like, well, it's it's got a poo, you know? So, so there's this stuff, that's singing poo. So um, we tried to communicate with the poo, and um, we we ended up sort of uh, sacking it off after a little while, and then and trying to find the middle of the ship, sort of trying to find the bridge, as it were, and, or any sort of command structure or you know, something. Mm. Uh, so we thought if the, you know, all this is is like identical stuff around these little corridors, so if we go towards the middle, that's probably where 
you know, if it's all symmetrical, then the middle is probably where things are going to change. So, um, so we went towards the middle. Mm-hmm. There was like a big central chamber that had a pool of the black fluid in it. Mm. And it was sort of lying on the bottom, so it was denser than the water. Yeah. There was just a big pool of it in the middle, and your your um, echolocation picked up a drip coming from the ceiling, mm. dripping down into it. And uh, you guys sent the spare cicada that you had. I've never mm. learned how to pronounce that. Um, <laughs> you, you sent your um, your canary down there, and that's where Scientist Submersible was. Yeah, so uh, using the cicada, we managed to get this thing up. Those are really useful. Um, <laughs> so we managed to get this thing up. It, actually, the cicada was pretty good for roleplay as well. Because um, you'd said that you sort of treat it as an extension of your body, and yeah. you know, in in terms of manners, essentially, you, you don't touch someone else's cicada. It's like you know, like you wouldn't just reach out and touch someone else mm. physically. Um, and so I was really protective of my cicada and um, kind of not wanting people to touch it. But with the the dolphin cicada, it was like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> like, this is, of course, I'm going to shove it into the the dangerous places and all that kind of crap. Um, so we managed to get the the sub up. It was full of this black liquid, but it, it all drained out when it came up. So we waited for it to mm. drain out, got in, blew the ballast, and kind of decided to try and pilot the sub out. <laughs> that didn't go well, because none of us really were that great at piloting. Uh, I think when we created characters, <laughs> we'd chosen the wrong skill for being able... Well, I had chosen the wrong skill for being able to pilot things. Um, yeah. Like, between Because there's lots of different skills for sailing and piloting and whatever. I mean, we'll go into skills and stuff later, but I, I definitely wanted to be BA is what I want. I wanted the, the big heavy guy with the big heavy <laughs> weapons and uh, he's the guy who drives. It, what, it, it what wasn't really working. What actually happened yeah. was I w- I had, um, I'd freaked you out a little bit by saying that there were shapes like registering right on the edge of your echolocation in this gigantic chamber. And I freaked you out a little bit. Oh, yeah. Was was the shootout before we got into the the sub or after? I can't remember. All I remember is that you shot off some rockets that hit the walls of the chamber. Yeah, that was it. No, we, yeah, the, we were waiting for it to drain uh, out. Yeah, and um, the walls were actually lit by these bioluminescent fish that were going through, that were like swimming through like some veins in there. Mm. And as soon as the wall got shot out, these fish just like dived like millions of tiny, tiny fish, like maybe only a centimeter long. Like, they all just dived towards the party, and they were all razor sharp, so a lot of, like, most of you took damage from that, didn't you? Yeah, um, so the the, the self-defense mechanism, so while shot at the wall, no, shot at one of these things, and this self-defense mechanism came off and, and did whatever, but while I was stupid, and I kept making <laughs> a roll, <laughs> yeah, I kept making a roll to see if he's figured it out, you know, and he never figured it out, that... <laughs> Uh, if you shoot the walls, you all this did it stuff. You three times, be. didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and one time was it was firing a missile at the uh, the first time it was firing a missile at these big things because go big or go home. Um, <laughs> and then it was automatic gunfire at the big things, and then it was automatic gunfire at a wall, um, just as a test. And then these things go. I was like, ah, right, that's not a good thing. <laughs> so uh, they decided to book it out of there and try and pilot this this thing um, through these corridors. Now, I suppose that would have done okay if we weren't in a hurry, but we couldn't quite manage to pilot it and ended up damaging this thing quite substantially on the 
on the inside yeah, of the Yeah, you, you knocked ship. out one of the engines on, well, one of the jets on one of the sides. Yeah, so War had to get out and push. <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. Um, so to keep it on track, War had to get out and push, and the other uh, guys were in, inside kind of doing their thing. And I think we managed to get... Did we manage to get it? Get the um, we got the sub out, yeah, and then went back in, saying, "Right, okay, well, we've got that. We've got no, this." And no, what it was is that you were starting to escape, but then you actually saw full on what had been sort of you'd only sort of seen glimpses of so far, like mm. the, like the singing poo and the big shapes that were registering on the end of your um, sonar, and you actually came face to face with one, and it was one of the ancient races of this pl- of this planet that all the humans have colonized um it looks a bit like a it looks a bit like a humpback whale but mm. it's got sort of six eyes um and it had all these like bioluminescent tendrils that came out from its throat mm. not not out through its mouth through its throat but just on its chest if that makes sense yeah yeah and you sort of came face to face with one for the first time do we do we try yeah, to communicate with Ab- it? Was... They're called Aboriginals. I can't. Um, I can't remember. I, th- I think you just booked it out there. To be honest, it just ran away. <laughs> no, because oh, I can't remember. But you you went back into the chamber to, and that's where you got the scientists from. So you you must have turned back. Yeah, I think I think we managed to get the or get get the the little sub up to like the exit of this place. In fact, no, 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 it was um. Uh, it was definitely out of there because when we left, it was under very um, fast chase. So we managed to get that thing out and decided then to come back, and then thought, yeah, so yeah, so we we got the sub out <laughs> and decided we'd go back and have a look uh, for these scientists because um, the cat wanted the payday, um, and and the ape was always was always agreeing with the cat and not really agreeing with War, which was fuck <laughs> this shit, get out of here, get paid. Is I want to blow stuff up or I want to go get paid. It was 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 Wa's whole raison d'être. So <laughs> it, uh, they sort of convinced him. Okay, we'll go back and have a, a, a quick look, um, and you might get to blow stuff up and you know whatever. So we went back into the main chamber and saw that the black stuff was actually flowing up. It wasn't flowing down. Yeah. So it's flowing up into this like. You know, sphincter, I suppose. Um, yeah, in the, in the, basically. In the um, so we 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 went up and tried to swim through this sphincter thing. Yeah, you you being the biggest one, you had to roll a check, but you were all right with it. Like you didn't you didn't panic, you didn't you didn't get stuck in there, so you were all right. Yeah, and then we had uh, we sort of came into a room and it was just like. All right, so and you're through, and it's this room full of these three huge things that are going to kill you. Like, oh, <laughs> okay, right. Um, but we tried to find. Uh, or was that into the room with the scientists? Because we, no, we did you, find the them. room with the, the room with the scientists didn't have any Aborigines in it. It was just um, it was the room that Biddy had seen in his vision. Basically, it was like a spherical room, and all the scientists were being held in these um, half spheres full of black full of the black water except Hmm. it was inverted it was all upside down so it was a bit of a perception fuck mind fuck (laughs) Hmm. so um i think that that must have been one of the first rooms we came into because that we came into this room with these three aboriginals in it um which which seemed to me like it was what it was you you picked up the scientists 
and there was a there was like a proper door instead of a sphincter to go through. So you oh, went yeah. through the door, and then there was just yeah there was a room lined with like um, there were like eight rods around the circumference, and there were there were like three small aborigines in there. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that, let this be a lesson. If you're doing uh, a horror themed game, never ever just open a door. Uh, <laughs> there's a simple door in front of you. It's a trap. Get out. Um, so we went through. There was these Aborigines there, and I think it was the case of there was a door on one side. We were yeah. in the middle of the room, um, and there was sort of two Aboriginals on the other side, or whatever. So it was, well, then decided to shoot off a um, a missile as diversion, um, <laughs> or just because he wanted to shoot off a missile. Who can the, tell with that guy? Yeah, <laughs> off to the other side of the room. While well, we all booked it towards this other door and tried to get out, and there was this quite tense chase through the ship. And we had to try and get out before this thing submerged without, you know, leaving us kind of unable to get out mm. um, or, you know, uh, and us getting caught by the, the aboriginals. Yeah, it was, it was that thing of, I well, think the roles the, actually did make it that we just made this, it. The, before this, um, the aborigines, they'd all been very um, placid and very sort of, oh, I've totally forgotten the word, it's pacifistic there we go, yeah, there we go. all the aboriginals have been very pacif have been pacifists towards you like they they'd just sort of been kind of creepy but they'd not actively done anything until war actually shot one with a rocket <laughs> and that that changed their opinion on you quite significantly <laughs> to be fair in, in what in in war's mind it was more like i've already shot so many things at these guys it just turns out i didn't hit but that doesn't mean i wasn't trying you know so i don't think you saw the distinction um <laughs> no because your characters you sort of you didn't realize how intelligent these creatures were oh no no, no. and because um, they're they're very much surrounded in mystery in the in the setting of blue planet mm. like no one really knows that much about them so these guys went into this Aboriginal ship, not knowing that they're intelligent creatures that were just they would they were just like scientists as well, basically, mm. and and they were just trying to return these. Um, they wanted to have a look at the scientists and then send them back on their merry way. But then a certain orca turns up <laughs> <laughs> and uh, starts firing rockets at them. Ain't got, and, ain't got and time for no scientists, fool. I, I think. I think you might have actually killed one of the smaller ones. It's like, probable, think, yeah. uh, thinking, thinking back, I think you did actually kill one. Went and killed a child, yeah. <laughs> the, the, so this chase ended up going through the, the ship, and um, it was it was kind of on the last roll or something, and we managed to get out, mm-hmm. and the ship descended into the depths, and, and I tried to kill it again. Um <laughs> And so yeah, what you did was um, you wanted to give like a goodbye kiss, so yeah. you uh, you clicked you clicked one of the blister doors open with your um, yeah that was your it kitchen, and just as um, just as the door opened, you saw like the biggest Aborigine you've seen so far, and its mouth's open. You've not seen one with an open mouth before, but it was just full of teeth, and that's ba- he just saw a wall of teeth coming towards him, basically. So what Paul did is he rolled an amazing shot <laughs> <laughs> and he fired basically all his rockets straight down into the gullet of this Aborigine that was coming straight towards yeah. him. Closed and the door the, and the, swam. The, yeah, closed the door and there was just this slight little 
<laughs> so, so you could hear door, like flash through the semi-transparent wall. <laughs> That's how I sort of imagined it. <laughs> Um, like so, a, a very te- tense action filled <laughs> all these rows of teeth coming towards you and then sort of like a quite anticlimactic shut the door and like a little <laughs> <laughs> so we managed to get um, all these scientists back and half a dolphin take them back to this guy in, in this the, on this island we'd had some conversations when we got there first of, of um, was it legends of protectors of this island or the island was protected in some way or yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the, the crusty old man uh, becomes it goes oh the legends of car bad hog and all that kind of crap and yeah. so, um, <laughs> me it, with my amazing accent skills <laughs> it was it was Tim the Enchanter um, in in every in every RPG there's always the Tim the Enchanter somebody comes along and says and says this is is mighty perilous and whatever and then it's come back to say I yeah told that was so. that was basically that character yeah <laughs> yeah so so yeah we 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 went in we got paid we got tons of money. And they were all fine, you know. We left the the research station, kind of in the shallows, or whatever. And then, as we came out, the kids were everyone's going nuts because the kids were just walking into the ocean and drowning. I mm-hmm. think that was my interpretation. They they were just walking into the ocean and drowning. And yeah, people couldn't that's stop what them. Happened, yeah. Yeah, um, and we didn't know why. And it was just we were, we were reminded <laughs> by the GM that. Well, uh, no, he did I I made him. I made Biddy roll an intelligence roll because he was the one that had talked with uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the mad old man. So I says, uh, can you remember this thing? And he says, yes, I can remember this thing. So I reminded him. That, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I reminded them that they had been warned that there were some guardians of the village and that you guys had just blown them up. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think that, that left a good little thing is if we ever wanted to go back to it, then there is a mess to clean up. So whether it would be back to the same characters or we'd be the good guys trying to clean up the mess. Mm. Um, that, that would be I, d- I don't think the um, like the eco terrorists would be particularly happy with you in the <laughs> setting. Or maybe they've uh, they because they're rich now they sort of set themselves up as robber barons or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's um, that's how it ended basically. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and I think. It, it, it was it was really well fledged from my perspective. I really liked it um, because it was uh, well. I like the plot because mm. I was thinking, okay, here's this underwater research facility, whatever. This uh, and it was kind of seeming to me like it was what's that film? The Abyss. The Abyss, yeah. Um, and I was, I was thinking that right. Okay, where's okay, where's the water based monster gonna? Yeah, gonna no, I was here? what I was aiming for really. I just um, I just played Alien Isolation. Yeah. So I was looking to create sort of a very, very much like a fusion of Alien Isolation and the Abyss. That's mm. what I was looking to sort of create for you. Mm. So I think it did quite well in terms of sort of luring us into a false sense of security because it was a simple rescue mission, mm. and then and so we were thinking, all right, is this going to be um, like a a treasure hunt essentially? And it turned into this really sort of claustrophobic horror themed. Um, you know, uh, adventure where we're very much feeling like there is so much we don't understand. I think that's the mm. good. That's a that's a mark of a good horror plot is that you are left guessing, even though you're trying to find out, and you're always getting it, it, um, small obviously, bits of information. It obviously didn't help that we didn't have our scientist character. Yeah, yeah. but I think we, we were getting enough little tiny bits of information we could start putting it together. Yeah, no, I I had to sort of. 
I had to sort of deviate from my plans a little bit just so that you would have enough information to work with, you know? Yeah, that's the art of DMing, isn't it? It's, it's trying mm. to say, okay, well, this person's not going to be here to figure this out, so I'm going to give that information to someone else or at some other location. Mm. Um, because ultimately, it's like the players will always divert and go off on their own path, and it's not the path that you said, no, you've got to go to the west here. Okay, we'll go to the east, that's fine. So it's, no, you just say you're looking for something, and they're going to go, okay, we're going east. So whatever they're looking for that you need to fi- you need them to find is going to be wherever they're going. So, you know, mm. um, you have to sort of like terraform while you go. Uh, it sort of brought it home to me as well. We, we, me and Cheryl were watching this British horror thing um, on Netflix the other day. Mm. Um, I can't remember the name of the damn thing, but it was um, not necessarily post-apocalyptic, but something had happened in London where there was an explosion and weird things were going on. The, the, the government had got it all locked down for biohazard, and so basically the city, you know, that that's, um, that square mile had been shut down entirely and was a ghost town, and people were leaving London in droves. And mm. that had been going on for months and months and months. And it was at the stage where, you know, it, London was a ghost town. And there were so, so many shots of London as a ghost town. Oh my god, it was so boring. Um, <laughs> but it had, it's um, the woman who played Tonks in Harry Potter. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> and and the guy who played, uh, the oh, this is, I, I don't know anything about Game of Thrones, but the guy who tortures uh, Greyjoy. I Dion don't watch Greyjoy. Game of Thrones either. Oh, God, I, I'm losing my nerd points here. Like, no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't watch Harry Potter. I don't watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I can't watch Game of Thrones because of the sword fighting. It's horrid. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, they were trying to do horror, and it was very much a case of um, trying to make it the same feel. You know, here's some things, here's some people who are trying to find out, or, you know, one person who's trying to find out what's going on. And yet, at no point was there any inquiry as to what these strange things that were happening were. And it was all just, this strange thing happens and you don't know anything about it. Okay, well, mm. that happens. And then oh, this other strange thing happens and you don't think about it. And, you know, the viewer can make their own minds up about sort of certain things, but the characters themselves are trying to uncover the truth without actually trying to figure anything out. Mm. They're just sort of like wandering around and getting themselves into bad situations, but not constructively trying to do anything. And for me, that ruined the horror of it, whereas... In this game, what we were doing is we were we were trying to find things out, and it was there was there were many occasions where we were just it, it's a brick wall, you know. We, we've just come up against you know this does this thing that we tried didn't give us any information, but there were enough things where some information came through that it was it was a good little drip feed, and mm. so it was it was sort of pulling us through the adventure because yeah, because uh, one point you had the there was another cicada wasn't there on the actual research vessel not on the alien ship yeah but you guys tried to sort of hotwire it to get any information out of it and you blew it up basically yeah like you short-circuited it and it it died (laughs) yeah we we, we were trying to get information out of the the ship's computers and all that sort of stuff and it was all just something happened everyone left and there was enough information to keep us wanting to get more information, if you know what I mean. Mm. So um, with there being a different vision every time that someone touched a rod, that led us through as well, because every time it was it was slightly more, it was like there was a simple vision and then it was um, something a little bit more complicated and a little bit more complicated than that. And it wasn't all the same scene either. It was like we were getting views of, of various different things. 
I loved your reaction to the rods in that you all wanted to touch them because you all wanted to know more, but at the same time you'd seen that dolphin that had had its head exploded and you sort of were touching them with a lot of trepidation, <laughs> wondering if it was going to happen to you as well. Yeah, we just ended up throwing um, throwing Biddy under the bus. <laughs> Ken, well, you do it. Because <laughs> 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 uh, Wa's uh, thing was that it, it was the it was the, the biomechanical things that had gone wrong and exploded. Yeah. And when he touched a rod, um, I don't think I did very well on the um, endurance roll. So uh, it was like, oh, nope, like something's starting to short out. Nope, not doing that again. But I've got two I've got two of these squishy things. And like, as far as Wa was concerned, Wa was quite racist. Um, <laughs> so uh, it, as long as there was another person to start touching these things, it was fine. So, you know, another, one of them at least was expendable. Mm. Um, you know, you just wanted to blow things up and touching rods wasn't blowing things up. So <laughs> oh, if we talk about the, the setting as well, because the, the way the way that the adventure went, it was from the start, I think, really tied into the setting uh, yeah, of, of Blue Planet. So for those who don't know, um, Blue Planet uh, is set in sort of medium distant future where another planet's been... Um, it's, it's sort of two phases. As a planet was discovered, which was all water, but there were some islands on it, uh, and then it was colonised, and then there was a massive war at home, uh, like a, sort of an apocalyptic-ish war at home, and mm-hmm. that planet was kind of left on its own for X amount of time. And then once things had settled down on Earth, they went back to you know recolonise and uh, you know re-exploit this this world. And so the people who were already there had gone a bit native. There were people, well, there, there were these these Aboriginals who no one really knows about, mm. except maybe some of the natives. So in this, um, it can get a bit confusing. So <laughs> the, no, the natives are the original colonists who got forgotten about yeah. and who just live on the planet quite low tech. And the Aboriginals are the um, they're the underwater alien whales. Yeah, Basically. and then uh, then there's this wave of corporate um, exploitation going on. This is mm. where the sort of the the uh, eco terrorist eco um, sort of morals come into to the setting. Mm. It's it's a little bit like Avatar, really. Yeah, it <laughs> is. James yeah, Cameron film in look, the yeah looking for Smurfs. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think they do a, a good job of building the world up into something unique, in that it mm. gives it um it you know this isn't you know a, a, a medieval setting it's not a sci-fi on ship setting it's it's its own thing it's you're in water so you've got to think about depth you've got to think about breathing you've got to think about um you know travel and and how people live in this place uh which which gives it a very different feeling so it, it even if the mechanisms are saying okay we need to go to this place while you're sailing even though there's no difference really to say well you're sailing or you're you're taking this this ship that skims over the surface of the waves it it makes it feel different mm. than if you just say oh yeah we can just get on the the cart there or you can get on you know the the jump ship or whatever it's going to be it it does make it feel unique mm. um well the world is just they've built up this massive world for basically people to play about in and there's so much of it that you could basically play anything that you want it is a whole fully conceived world you could play like a you could be sort of crime mob bosses Mm. um you could go from the corporate angle and you could totally if 
I don't know, this sounds boring, but you could if you wanted to. You could totally just be a bunch of corporate bureaucrats trying to juggle numbers. Yeah. <laughs> it could be, uh, it could, there's a lot of sort of biomodifications mentioned and gene therapy. So it could easily as well be sort of a cyberpunk setting. Mm. Uh, you can do always the treasure hunt stuff. There's such a massive difference in the way that people live their lives on this world from like the corporate structure where it's all very sort of whitewashed, clean line sci-fi to sort of the dirty back streets where you do your sort of cyberpunk setting. Mm. There's the whole underwater world. There's there's the alien aspect to it with the aboriginals. There's there's sort of a treasure hunting through the middle of nowhere aspect to it. You could be easily be as well a freedom fighter trying to get rid of the corporations. You could be a native. You could be a native on the planet and say these corporations are tearing up my planet. I'm not very <laughs> happy about this. Mm. Yeah, there's just. Well, There's uh, so much to work with. I'm looking through the moderator's guide just now, and there's so much world building in this. Is and and this is maybe one of my my criticisms of of the thing, is that a good RPG should allow you to make your own world, but this is very much tied to this world. You you can't do this system in your own world. I don't think. Um, yeah, it's, there's just so much there, and so mm. much is is culture specific and that's really baked into the rules and into the um the character creation and all that sort of stuff and the way you build up packs of things you know uh, where you build the characters by adding progressive packs so you don't just go okay i just want to homebrew this that you can do that but it it strikes me as being a really difficult thing to do because there's mm. a lot of numbers to fill in um, and a lot of formulas to figure out how it is you you can get certain things so they just say, well, here's a pack, and you are, um, you know, university graduate, and you train in the army, or whatever. And so it's all, it's very based in in this world. You know, you've got to figure out what your childhood was. So you know, are you know, were your parents uh, corporate people, or were they settlers, or whatever? And you get a pack of skills based on that, and then you add to that based on your upbringing, and then your profession, and all that sort of stuff. Y yeah, you could homebrew it, but it would see so much effort. That even just past reskinning things, it's going to be difficult for you. So, well, the thing is, they didn't even just fully flesh out Poseidon, like the alien planet. They fully fleshed out a load of the space stations as well. Mm. There, there was the moon, there was Earth. Like that, there, there is a opportunity for you just to never leave Earth, basically. Yeah, but uh, you know, and I think a lot of the the options that you'd have would be pretty pretty limited because obviously this this is set up for you to be going to Poseidon and, and doing that um, but I think it's they maybe in their playtesting they realised that people maybe wanted to go back and talk to people on earth or whatever or you know mm. sort of figure out that aspect of things so it's okay you can't be unreachable it's just going to be difficult to get there and I'm looking through this thing and it's striking me as being very much it's 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 very similar to World of Darkness, not in its mechanics necessarily, it's all D10s, but is that when you read World of Darkness core books, it's a series of short stories. That's basically you know it was mm, yeah it's, no, it's I a can lot of reading. That, yeah. you know, it's a lot of text. It's a lot of reading. It's 
you know, you go into, oh, here's this archipelago, and here's the government, and here's this the economic basis, and this is what the infrastructure is like, and this is what the culture. I mean, and it keeps going and going and going and going, and it's all fluff in a way, and and you've got to really comb through it and find the bits of the bits of the crunch. So there's no there's no GM's cheat sheet, for example. Um, if I'm, I'm looking through the moderator's guide. Um, so it's not the GM, it's called, it, they do call it the moderator. Well, I don't know, it is quite an old game, so that was, <laughs> I guess it's from a time when people weren't lazy enough to want cheat sheets. Well, uh, let's see, so we've got a quick reference guide. So there is there is a quick reference guide, but you would have to know how all of the various roles worked. It gives you the modifiers for various things, but you need to know how it works already. And it's not easy to look those things up. Oh yeah, now you mention it, it doesn't have an index, does it? No. We we, we had a big we had big issues with it not having an index, so we couldn't look up mm. things that we wanted quite quickly. Well, it was the moderator's guide has an index, but the player's guide doesn't, and mm. most of the crunch is in the player's guide. Yeah, that's. Um, when you're looking for stats on a gun or if you're looking for how damage is dealt out, it's all in the player's guide and there's there's just not an index. Yeah, it's, and it's, oh, it's, there's it's, barely a contents page. Yeah. So, so we kept getting stuck <laughs> mid, like midway through an action while we were playing. For example, when um, Biddy got hit by those um, razor-sharp fish that you shot... <laughs> We spent ages like flicking through pages trying to find where just how to do damage because yeah, it was, so it was I, actually a really small section that didn't explain much, but there wasn't an index to actually find it. So yeah, we were just flicking and was, through pages for like fifteen minutes. And it's kind of it's it's buried under the the, the in terms in terms of the combat, it's kind of buried in the combat section, mm. and it's hard to find, and it's and it's complicated as well. Like if it was simple. That would be fine. We just go. Oh, it sort of works like this. Yeah, we can fudge that. But it's not simple, um, and that I think is my biggest critis- criticism of this game. It is not simple, and I can't see a reason for the complexity because there are so many ways you could manage to do this. So the core mechanic, right, is you've got skills and. Uh, attributes. So you've got loads of you've got attributes that are uh, sort of intrinsic to you, and you've got skills that you've learnt. So you get your attributes based on your your race or you know the, the sort of the base race that you're playing, and then you can modify those a little bit. And then there's there's skills that you that are learnt things, and there's a huge huge list of those, and they're all kind of worded quite specifically. They're very specific, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, th- there's a realism to that to say, well, if you if you can pilot a sub, that doesn't mean you can uh, pilot a sailboat. Yeah. <laughs> um, whereas if you're going for a more generic thing, that would be piloting. You know, there'd just be a generic pilot skill. But this one really splits it down. So you've got to be very careful in how you go about that. Doing it as a first game, like your first game is going to be people who don't know anything having a really bad time. Yeah, because they have no idea how any of this crap works. It didn't um, help. That I didn't really know either. <laughs> so the core system is that you've got was it the attributes and the attributes, which were sort of strength, dex, intelligence, that yeah. sort of thing. The skills, which were sort of piloting, uh, language, trans- like language translation, 
yeah. uh, social skills, mm. that sort of thing. Yeah, but it's not speci- it's not like just generally language. You're not generally good at language. You have it's specific <laughs> languages. Again, it's you know. Yeah. So when you when you pick a earth based human language, you have to specify what language that is. And if you're doing you know, the cetacean I, language, I think that's fair enough, though. <laughs> yeah, but in terms of a of a role playing game, I think it can hold you back a bit. Uh, you know, unless unless you know what languages are going to be used in this in the setting, um, you know, what might be useful. But a lot of GMs are going to hold that back because you don't want them to find out necessarily. Mm. Um, so it, it, it's it's kind of give and take. If you've got generic skills, then you can apply it to situations as they arise without the GM having to give information away before you start otherwise you can get that situation where someone's skilled up on a certain thing or a certain range of things and it never comes up so you, you sit there with a player who's feeling useless and and you got to realize you're playing a game you know you're telling a story but you're also playing a game and that game isn't fun if you can't do things mm. so you roll d10s isn't it and you're trying to get yeah there's a the base target number is five but you can alter that higher or lower depending on how hard you think it would be like for example shooting a p versus shooting a truck so you can alter the difficulty so your base target number is five and you roll your d10s and you have to try and get lower than five that was right wasn't it yeah Uh, yeah you're trying to get lower than five but if you're skilled up in something then that's is so yeah so it adds up so say you've got three in shooting guns then that would mean that your target is eight so if you roll in your um your d10 that's a eight in ten chance of of like succeeding yeah yeah (laughs) so it's yeah it's it's kind of it it kind of odd like that so you but you roll three dice no no you roll the number of dice so okay each of these skills is is um is set up so it's you've got um, the generic skill where it tells you what number of dice that you're you're rolling in that generic area. So physical mm. things, mental things, whatever. So you can roll two dice, one dice, or or three dice. So uh, the more dice you roll in, the better chance you have of of getting under your number. So the skills are where the, those things really add up. But then the attribute stuff is it's a different mechanic, isn't it? It's your... Yeah, there's like overarching skills and then there's like the sub skills. And in the overarching skills, the characters get to pick about, depending on how good the character is, what level they are, they get to pick about three of these main, attri- um, these main skills, like the title skills. And they can pick whether they want to be average, superior or elite at them. And mm. they've got, they, they, they've got like a, certain number of those that they can use they can't just say oh well i'm going to be elite in everything but what that does is if you're average your dice pool would be one so you'd have one dice to roll under the target number with if you had if you were superior in that sub in that subset of skills then for whatever reason it was say for shooting if you put your main <laughs> if you put yourself as superior with your shooting then every single sub skill under the shooting like small handguns assault rifles that sort of thing that would all lead to you having a dice pool of 2 rather mm. than 1 and for elite you'd have 3 yeah 
and for an attribute but skill... I, I, I hope yeah. I explained that. Oh, God. Yeah. So, and, and for an attribute skill, which is one of the... the your base ability skills is... Mm-hmm. Uh, not skill, sorry. For an attribute role, it's two dice. Yeah. And you've got scores in that as well. Those scores can be like 15, 20 odd, so I don't know how much that... I don't know what that that means still <laughs> but I, know, I know it's a slightly different mechanic as well but essentially the mechanic is that the player rolls and they determine success or failure independent of the GM so the GM gives you your target number and you say yes or no basically so the GM needn't know the score that you've rolled which I I, I saw as being so open to cheating mm, maybe. you know because yeah. it's, it's, it's the player reporting oh yeah I made it and that's it. You don't have to say what what number it is. I'm waiting for the GM to say yes, that succeeds or not because you 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 know the difficulty. I suppose it's like Numenera. You're just counting on people being honest, and people are mm-hmm. grown up. So yeah, I mean, failure is is often interesting. But I think it's, it's one of those things that not everyone is going to be clued up. Adults who are mature, and we're barely mature. Let's face it. <laughs> the, the the player deciding. To say yes, that was a success is, a, is a, maybe a little bit of a flaw, um, but that's how it's set up, and, and fair enough. And once we got the hang of it, we were going in, and I think what it was doing was rather than us saying to saying to Alex, you know, um, well, can I do this and can I do that and can I do the other, um, that you know, more or less of us were, were just saying, okay, I'm going I'm to try a thing. Nope, I'm going to try this. Nope, I'm going to try this. Nope, or making rolls without even saying what we were doing and just, oh, that fails and that fails, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and kind of leaving it. Uh, and, and I think that might have been a bit frustrating for you to sort of see us rolling things and have no idea what was going on. No, it was fine. I was usually just flapping my gums at someone else at that <laughs> point anyway. And you, yeah. So while I was talking to one person, you guys would have a thought about something and you try it out. Hmm. And see if it succeeds. And then, see if it would succeed before, like, interrupting me to say something. Yeah. Um, but I think as well, we were kind of missing the point that um, if you're going to fail at something, failure has to mean something. You know, if failure has no consequence whatsoever, then well, why are you rolling? Well, to be fair, you, you short-circuited that um, cicada. Uh, you you broke the submersible. You knocked the jet off it. Yeah, so the- but where we where we were sort of having goes and, and rolling without telling the GM, uh, you know, right. without telling you, um, you know, nothing happened because of that. Um, so in essence, we were sort of protecting ourselves from fallout. And we weren't doing it too much, to be honest. But uh, and and where I was doing it, it was has well I figured this out yet was mostly yeah, you know I was, I was mostly <laughs> making insight rolls to to try and figure out um, what was going on. So well, I, I kind of had an idea as a player, but I was trying to make Wa figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, and it wasn't working. But like, it's whether you interrupt the GM with that or whether you just sort of plough on because you know it's just informing your decisions as a player. It's a tricky one. But the system itself doesn't encourage necessarily talking about the roles that you're making. I mean, I, I think I'd, I'd play it again. I'd play the system again because I like mm-hmm. the setting um, and I like the way that you ran the game. So I'd play it again. Um, but I think... If we ever got into like serious combat, we'd have to stop the game and just yeah, try no, and figure combat it out. is just oh, it's yeah, it's like, like trying to walk through treacle. It was yeah, we would we'd have to we'd have to maybe sort of before we did a session, we'd have to sit have down, a, read the rules, yeah, have a dummy playthrough as well, just like. But then you can't ha- even have a dummy playthrough without 
having statted up characters. So, well, yeah, maybe, no, so what, maybe create characters and figure it out. Maybe this would be the way to do it, is that your characters are having a flashback to when they first learned how to use a gun and they were shooting at cans in their garden. (laughs) (laughs) There is like a little flashback to sort of get used to it. I don't know. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Just have the um, enter the tutorial section of the game. Yeah, basically. Um, (laughs) Go back to the training centre. So, yeah. uh, So, so as. Sex to exit. As a GM, what were your thoughts on, on the system? Um, what was it letting you do and not letting you do? The main thing was that I was freaking out about just even basic roles that you were going to do the night before I was set up to do it. Yeah. I was just reading over the same paragraphs again and again, and like it's still not making any sense to me. <laughs> and <laughs> I was just lying awake in bed going, oh, God, I still don't understand some of these basic roles. And it was, it was only because um, my boyfriend saw me stressing out and he sort of read it through with me. Like, it clicked straight away with him. Like, he understood it straight away and then just had to explain it to me ten times. And even on his, like, simplistic explained way, it still took me forever to realise sort of what this book was asking me to do at some points. Mm. But, of course, this was my first time ever GMing, so that might sort of sway it a little bit, but... Yeah, I I found a lot of the rules to be very sort of inaccessible and hard to understand. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult when there's not an easy index, mm. and the rules were they were kind of loosely worded, so it, they were trying to be very specific in what they were saying, but kind of failing a bit, mm. and and I think that it wasn't clear enough. Like I looked at it and I thought, okay, okay, right. I've sort of understood this. Um, but the real touchstone of whether you understand something is, can you explain it to someone else? Yeah. And I was trying to say, well, this is how it works. And no one was getting it. So I was like, no, I, I don't understand this. Yeah. I think it, that that's a difficult, that's a difficult thing. I remember when, um, I first read up on how to just fire off a gun at something and see if you'd hit it. It went into far too much detail. Like, you you had to take into consideration the range of the weapon, the skill of the person holding the weapon, how far away is the target, is the target moving, are they above air or are they in water? Oh, God, yeah. Does, uh, is, 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 the person, is the person firing the gun moving? <sighs> and then that's before even they, the person or the target has taken any damage at all. Yeah, and and the damage itself isn't based on the individual really. It's based on a toughness role, and you are you're either injured, you're crippled, or you're dead basically. Yeah, so, that, it's so some... squishy. Yeah, there wasn't really much wiggle room. It wasn't like hit points. It it was literally just that, as in you're fine, you're you're a bit scraped, you've got a dislocation, you're bleeding heavily, or you're dead. Yeah. And each of those had like quite heavy penalties to them, like um being battered and scraped, that was a minus that was a minus one to the your target rolls. Hmm. And being battered and bruised, um like actually bleeding, that was like a minus two. Hmm. I think it was also very easy to get injured and stay that way and not mm. very easy to heal up. You basically had to go and go to a hospital. Um, for weeks or you know and so there was a lot of realism in the game and and the way it was baked in 
um, to all the crunch. It was, it, there was a lot of realism. Okay, you can't be mm. generalist. You've got to be specialist. You know, you, uh, skills aren't that transferable. All that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, you're playing a game, and you're playing a game where you want to be heroes. If you want a game where you can go off and you're just as squishy as anyone else, and you're just as vulnerable, and all that, and you can't really do much. Um, that other other people can't do. Or what's the point of playing the game? You know, if if you're playing a game where you're all superheroes, but the entire world is superheroes, what's the point? Um, you know, yeah. you've got, there's something that's got to. You know, where's the jeopardy? So you, you've and and when the jeopardy comes along and it is jeopardous, then why are you special? Why are you guys doing this and no one else is? And I, th- I think being too squishy means that. You can't play certain games. You couldn't play a dungeon crawl type game with yeah. this. You know, you you couldn't play um, uh, special forces kind of. You know, go, or, or you'd have to spec your entire group to be. I think super super good at combat and nothing else. I think the crux of what makes it quite an interesting setup, but also what holds it back, is that it was written by scientists. Like the whole thing was written by marine biologists. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of detail being put into how the creatures on this planet function, like that they're, they're biologically they could technically exist, like mm. these, that, these that alien cool. animals they've yeah. which is cool. But on the other hand, because these people do have a basis in science, they've perhaps overthought a lot of the details, mm. and it interrupts with the flow of the game. Just when you're thinking about, like like what I said with just shooting a gun and all the different variables they've included in that. Like, mm. Yeah, and it, it does it does slow it down. I mean, fair enough, they must have playtested it at some point, but, you know, how widely? And so th- there's this aspect of exploration is basically the aim of the game in this, um, because anything else will get you killed. And yeah, I, I, they, did, they did make combat very, very realistic, because it's not like a video game where you get shot 15 times and then the screen goes red and you're like, oh, I better get a med kit. It's mm. more of a case of if you were shot in real life, you'd be on the floor, and that's sort of what they took into the game with them. Yeah, um, and it, that doesn't make for a fun game where you're sort mm. of you know blasting through doors and you know and, and you know doing hero stuff. Yeah, um, it's okay. We've got this place and we've explored and it's all tense and you know um, here's all the stuff like okay, well, here's a combat you can't avoid. Oh right, we're all dead. Right, okay, fair enough. <laughs> that's it, you know. And there's literally nothing you can do about it. Your own weapons will hurt you eventually. Yeah, I think may- maybe slightly too up on the realism. I think if, mm. if you dialed it down a bit, and honestly, I think if we tried it again, like it might be better just to rewrite the combat section to make it more interesting and yeah, less, probably yeah, less onerous. Because let's face it, if you look at that big table of who's doing what, and it's, in fact, no, there's not even a table. It's just okay. Here's some. Uh, here's some text and then here's some numbers and then here's another bit of text and here's some numbers and here's another bit of text so it's really hard to put together so rather than look through that all the time to figure it all out and spend 20 minutes to set this set this combat up get rid of it make it easier give people hit points or you know figure out something you know it was it was very odd like as an orca for example i was playing a a big bruiser i was just as squishy as anyone else there Mm. i mean literally nothing made a difference um, which, which seemed to be pretty odd to me. I think it didn't help that we didn't really understand how damage worked. 
Yeah, like, I mean, we, I, we I, knew I, that it had something to do with toughness, but we couldn't quite yeah. figure out how. <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't figure out it was it was you had to make a toughness roll, and so if you had a higher skill in toughness, that made it less likely you'd be injured. Mm. But ultimately, I wasn't actually tougher. If you know what I mean? I just had a, yeah. a slightly better chance. And they got it in the rules that they specifically wanted that, you know, the, to reflect the randomness of injury and stuff like that. And it's like, well, yeah, yeah okay, but the randomness of injury is supposed to go in your favour if you're the heroes. You know, it's supposed to be, you know, oh, it's a flesh wound, walk it off kind of stuff, rather than, yeah. oh, right, okay, um, someone's thrown a, a dish at your head. Actually, you, you have an aneurysm and it kills you. You know, mm. that's that's <laughs> the randomness introduced. It's, it, it's randomness against the party, not for them, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that was it. Like, it's it, it's good, but it's got flaws. Mm. Um, you know, I fell in love with like the setting of it, but the rules were just near nigh on impenetrable. Like, it was <laughs> it was so tough just to get even a basic concept of how the rules worked. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we'll, I think we'll definitely go back to it at some point um, and record a bit, put some episodes out. But we will definitely have to homebrew some of the the combat. I think. Mm-hmm. Blue Planet was created by Jeffrey Barber and is published by Fantasy Flight Games and we were using the second edition rules. The song was Grind by John Paul Jones. If you have any comments or questions about what anything we've said or anything in particular or just want to send us a random fact which would be awesome send it to swordnutradio at gmail.com that's swordnutradio at gmail.com or at swordnutradio on Twitter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>